Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. We're taking a brief break from the Second Kings series today to look at a fascinating uh, biblical story in Exodus and just reflect some on the nature of what rest is and what Lent means and Sabbath rest. Before we read the text and get into this text this morning, we, we need to just kind of preface it with some background of the backstory of Exodus 16. Uh, Exodus, as you may remember, tells the story of how the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh was their master, a very cruel master. They worked night and day for him. He uh, owned every hour of their existence. There was no time off in Egypt for them. There was no vacation, no playtime. There was not even golf, Jim. Did I, did I say that? <laughs> the bodies of the Israelites were seen as commodities to Pharaoh. Commodities, tools for Pharaoh to build his empire, to build his dream. But then, of course, the God of Israel shows up, right? He, he wages battle against Pharaoh. Do any of the kids here remember how does uh, God wage war against Pharaoh? Help me out. Plagues, that's right. He wages war with plagues. After 10 plagues, he devastates Egypt, destroys Egypt, wipes Egypt off the map. God won. (laughs) Pharaoh lost big time. God became the new king over the Israelites. He took them through the Red Sea, away from Israel's old master, And so now Israel, Israel's free. They're free. But then, then they hit the wilderness. And our text today falls in the middle of a series of three stories that all show how the Israelites complain that God is not providing enough for them. And in each, God demonstrates to them that his kingship, is very different from Pharaoh's. And he will provide for them exactly what they need. The the first and third stories kind of bookend our story today. The first and third focus on how God supplies them water. And the middle one, our text today here in Exodus 16, shows how God supplies food. Exodus 16 here tells the story of how the Israelites complain about their lack of food, and they start looking back at Egypt and kind of going, oh, it was so great in Egypt, all the watermelons we had and things, and what a great thing to have. And they complain and complain. And then God mercifully provides manna, right? He provides manna for them six days a week, but not on the Sabbath, not on the seventh day. Tucked into this story today, 
is a surprising element of how God's reign relates to all of us, especially in the season of Lent. God's kingship values rest. And he wants his people to be distinct by resting. So would you please stand now for the reading of God's word to his church day, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 16. We pick it up right at the sixth day when God is instructing them how to respond on the sixth and the seventh day. We read, On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Would you pray with me? Father, God of the Exodus, We seek a word that brings you your life to us. Let your spirit nourish us today. Expose to us the idols we cling to and grant us new hearts through your living word, Christ. Speak, O Lord, for we are listening. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. May be seated. So here we are. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness where God often teaches us about himself and what he values. Always pay attention in the biblical narrative when the wilderness comes into view. Because God is about to do something. He's about to instruct us. And it's true with also our personal wildernesses often. As painful as they are, God is often revealing himself in a very new way to us. So here the people are in the wilderness and they complain. They complain that they are hungry. And yet God mercifully provides for them. Notice at the beginning of chapter 16, if you've read that, he, he doesn't rebuke them at first. He just, he just steps in and says, okay, here's quail. Here's these things I'm going to provide. He, he rains down quail in the evening, and then every morning he rains down this really strange bread, which the Israelites call manna. 
Um, I'm not sure if it was gluten-free, but it reportedly tasted like Krispy Kreme uh, glazed donuts. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking 40 years every morning, (laughs) a Krispy Kreme donut. That sounds pretty good to me uh, if it's gluten-free. But there's a catch. There's a catch to this. In verses 22 through 26, which we read, God tells the Israelites that they're to gather the manna for six days, but not on the seventh. Wait a minute. In the ancient Near East and in many parts of the world today, you gather food for every day for that day's meal. This, this, don't lose out on how strange this command is. This is, anybody hearing this is kind of like, what? what? This is not what we do. This was very strange. This would have made no sense to them. They're used to toiling every day to get the food that they need. How, how are they supposed to eat if they don't go out to get their food on the seventh day? Well, God's answer is simply, trust me. Trust me. I will supply what you need the previous day. They had to trust that God, as their new king, would indeed provide. But that's risky. It was very risky. It it divided everything that they knew. The the nations around them would look at them and just start chuckling like, look at those people. They're crazy. What is God doing? What is God doing here in the wilderness with them? God, the the new king of Israel, he's, he's coming in and he's inviting the people into a new rhythm of life, one that is marked by Sabbath rest. See, this is the first time that Sabbath appears in the Old Testament. Just a few chapters later, we learn in the Ten Commandments that God calls the people to be distinct by practicing a Sabbath rest. This Sabbath rest pulls the people back into a Genesis 1 kind of world rather than an Egyptian enslaved kind of world. God is disentangling, you might say, the Israelites, from all these cultural influences that have shaped them in Egypt. The Sabbath comes along, and this Sabbath rest breaks them of those ties to Egypt. He wants his people to be distinct. And by distinct, he wants them to image a new kind of creation, one that recalls the the way that God intended for the world to be. In Genesis 1, makes the world in six days, and then patterns the world to reflect his kingship, not by toiling, but by resting on the seventh day. And so each week, human beings were intended to pause and to stop and to remember that God is king. Remember God's rule. Remember that he is the one that supplies all that they need. So here, 
in Exodus 16, God is coming along in the wilderness and and reshaping them to reflect this by the way that they do not go out and gather on the seventh day. This, This breaks the expectations that the nations would have for them. Expectations to hurry and to gather Expectations to toil 24-7 and acquire more and more and build and labor for greater and greater things. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? See, God comes along in the wilderness and, and rejects all of this. And he says, no, no. My people, my people will be different. My, because my kingship is different. But all they knew, all they knew was is, uh, Pharaoh's kingship. They had been enslaved so long, they, they couldn't see how what God was offering them was something so much better than the 24-7 labor and toil of the world around them. And so some of the people, they don't trust that this is actually good for them. And so we read in verse 27, After he gives these instructions, verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. It's like, no kidding. He told you. (laughs) They found none. Some go back out and, and do what their enslaved lives had taught them to do. They they go against God's pattern and stick to the old ways were practiced all around them. So God responds in verse 28 and 29. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Here's what's key in verse 29. When he says, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He has given you the Sabbath. Notice those words. This is is not merely a uh, command, some kind of moral injunction on the people that they better follow or else God's going to whip them out and strike them down and be angry. This is rather a stunning claim God is making. This is stunning. Remember, uh, because of the exodus, God became king of the people of Israel. That's how he's relating to them as king. Well, in the ancient world, kings don't give rest. They take, and they take, and they take from their people. In the ancient world, Kings take children for armies. They take dads and moms to put them in the king's fields to work and toil. Israel knew this because Pharaoh took. He took until he exhausted every member of Israel. Back in Exodus 5, if you flip over to Exodus 5, just a few chapters back, when Moses and Aaron first go to confront Pharaoh in their first encounter with him, Pharaoh responds by taking more and giving them more labor and more work. 
read in verse 4 of chapter 5. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Then Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Here's what he commands, verse 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh takes. Kings take. But here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, God says that the Lord has given the Sabbath to his people. He gives them a pattern of rest to follow. This is unheard of. Everyone knew that that what you served would exhaust you, but not Yahweh, not the true king and the true God of the world. He gives rest. Who are you serving right now? And so verse 30 tells us that for the very first time, the former slaves of Egypt rest. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. Again, this is, this is stunning. They who were in bondage to the idols of Egypt, Pharaoh's idols that, that drove him to cause these people to toil and labor for 24-7, they finally rest. And they rest under the the good kingship of the true God. See, the Sabbath leads them away from slavery to a recreation in which they can find human flourishing. God shows us here that that it is slavery to idols that lead to no rest. Yahweh breaks the power that Pharaoh's idols held over the people. And this is exactly what he does today through the gospel for us. See, that that gift of Sabbath rest is still for you and me today. The Christian God, the God of creation and the Exodus, is a God who gives us the gift of rest God is not the God of toil and 24-7 madness. If you are stuck in that toil and madness, you just might need to be asking, who is it that you're serving? And Jesus Christ, he embodies to us the life of balance and harmony and rest. And as we enter this time of Lent, Lent is is a good time to pause and to assess your life, to step back and ask, who am I serving? It's, it's really easy, you know, to, to limit Sabbath uh, to strictly a 
kind of a spiritual significance of rest. Now, it, it is gloriously true that, that Sabbath rest points to an ultimate rest found in Jesus alone, Hebrews chapter 4. And, and if, you, if you don't know Jesus, we want you to know about him and be united to him through the gospel and find for yourself eternal rest in his presence. That's what Sabbath is pointing to. But sometimes for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, we, we forget and we fail to see how our physical rhythms of rest are meant to image that greater reality of our eternal rest. Our physical rhythms are on display to the watching world, showing whether we are distinct or not as the people of God. See, we can, we can image the beauty and harmony of God's rest as king, or we can image that following Jesus makes no difference for you in a hurried and busied, enslaved world. What are you imaging? What is your family imaging here at Lent? Just like Israel, the forces of Pharaoh enslave us to the tyranny of 24-7 busyness. For many, it's all we know. We are enslaved to idols of success and education. We are enslaved to money and social connection and financial security and more. All of this demands our allegiance, squeezing us dry until we are exhausted. So we are, we are urged to work one more hour because everything depends on us, or so we think. We are urged to, to click on one more social media feed because we have to be in the know or be known. We are urged that our kids and grandchildren have to say yes to every opportunity that arises every sport, every extracurricular activity, because we think their futures depend on it. We are urged to pick up that phone one more time because we might miss something if we don't. Meanwhile, we don't see how all these urges are silently grooming us and silently shaping us for allegiance to the gods of this present world, to the idols of this world. And then we wake up one day and we find that we're no longer distinct as followers of Jesus. And so sometimes God brings us out into the wilderness in our lives to show us that Christians still need a Sabbath rest. Yes, I know that Christian tradition is filled with many different approaches to, to Sabbath. Uh, it's a history filled with lots of ditches. So I'm, I'm not here today to articulate my particular uh, view and ditch that I'm going to get everybody pulled into. We, we reject those ditches. Uh, we reject legalistic approaches. 
But that doesn't negate that the God of creation created the world for his people to, to work with excellence and dignity and then rest as they remember he alone gives them everything. To remember that, that he is our provider. To remember that even as we receive rest from God, he will provide the manna that you think you have to go out and collect Just like Israel, it's a risk to stop, isn't it? It's a risk to to pause. It's an act of trusting God to say, I will rest and stop acquiring and accumulating and, and doing those things that we think we must do. So this, this season of Lent we're in, this Lent especially invites us in, as I said, to, to slow down and reconsider the pattern of our lives. Let the Spirit of Christ speak to you during this season about who you are serving. Is it God or is it something else? Let me just give you in our, our remainder time here, let me just give you a few examples of how you might be distinct as followers of Jesus when it comes to Sabbath rest. Now, Michael is not offering mandates. These are not the laws of Michael. These are not judgments on those who are not abiding by them. These are simply suggestions to help you flourish as Christ followers. That's what we're after, isn't it? to flourish as followers of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's what we're aiming at, to be faithful and following him. So, so let us not uh, judge one another or don't overanalyze something that I suggest here. <laughs> but let me give a few suggestions. First example, worship. This is a mandate, actually. Worship is. <laughs> Make worship a priority. Make worship on the Lord's day the main thing, which everything else revolves around. Set worship first before you plan anything else. Begin your calendar with worship on Sunday within your covenant community, and don't let anything else bump that. Watch out. Watch out for the the idols of our culture that that threaten your regular participation in worship. Because it's worship that leads to rest. Where there's no worship, there's no rest. I can promise you that. Second example. Consider your job. Are you working so much into the nights and on Saturdays and then on Sundays that you're left exhausted and unable to rest, then perhaps it's time to reconsider where you work. That's risky, I know, but it's the truth. But even if it means, even if it means you, you make less money, 
Your, your work needs to be under the kingship of the resting God. Don't work for Pharaoh. Don't buy his lies. You are not defined by what you do, but whose you are. Third example, this one for students. Let your season of school life that you're in right now be a a sort of training ground for you, a training ground for you to learn how to be distinct as a Christian for your future years. See, the decisions and the habits that you're making right now as a student are going to bear either good or bad fruit over the course of your life. And so I, I want to gently, cautiously challenge you to try during this season of Lent to step away from schoolwork. I know, I just said that. <laughs> no, not you. To step away from schoolwork on Sundays, to worship, to reorient yourself around worship and meaningful fellowship with brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something. It is possible to have a successful academic career and not be consumed by your schoolwork on the day of worship. It's possible. Now, I know, believe me, that, that, that sometimes there are extraordinary circumstances that arise. But just try it out for Lent and see how God might refresh you and might change your outlook. And you might be surprised by how much you get done on those other six days. You might be surprised. Fourth, Technology. You knew I was going here. During this season of Lent, try having a regular weekly Sabbath away from technology, especially your phones and devices. Stop emailing. Stop texting. Stop checking your social media feeds. Turn, turn it all off. For, for, for one day, rest from that. These things, these things uh, in technology are not neutral. Can they, can they do great good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great gospel good. But they are not neutral. They are designed to enmesh you in a world that is 24-7 without pause. Trust in God enough to turn it off one day, one day a week. Fifth, perhaps you are sitting there thinking, rest? That's all I got. I I have nothing to do. Some moms right now are going, I'll take some of that. (laughs) God has perhaps brought some of you into a season of life where you have fewer responsibilities and more time to rest. But for those who have more time to rest, God calls you to help those who do not have rest. 
One of the acts of justice that the church should be involved in is bringing rest to the weary, reaching into the burdened lives of those around us, and then kind of like CPR, breathing the beauty of God into their lives for rest. And so ask God, if that's, if that's you, if that's where you're at, ask God to show you how you can image his rest to someone else. Maybe, maybe it's a parent who's exhausted. Maybe it's someone working three jobs just to pay their bills. Discover how you might be able to, to bring rest to them. Just like the God of Israel giving Sabbath to his people. He calls his people now to bring rest to those around them. Jesus the Messiah, died and rose from the dead. He died and rose from the dead. It changes everything. He died and rose from the dead, not so that we could live normal American lives with financial security and hurried family schedules. He died and rose from the dead so that we would be distinct and that we would Show the world. We would make visible the kingdom of God to others because Egypt is watching and Egypt wants you back. But don't be like the Israelites. Don't turn our hearts back toward the 24 7 slavery to Pharaoh's idols. By God's grace and by the power of the gospel, we no longer have to live that way. See, we are free to rest in the worship of the triune God of heaven and earth. Trust God. Trust God today to provide enough manna for your seventh day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has rescued us from the power of the idols of our world. You have broken that power over us through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, would you complete the work of the spirit in our life in making us more distinct each day by resting? Give us rest, O God, as you have promised in the Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.